Hello, everybody. Welcome well, once again to the Vineyard. As we get back into our uh, sort of journey through the Bible, we are working through the entire Bible a chapter at a time, and a uh, book at a time, chapter at a time. We've uh, gone through the New Testament. That took us a little over five years, and then we started over two years ago, work, ago working through the Old Testament together, which is the bigger part of this uh, time. And we have completed Genesis, and we've completed Exodus. And um, we spent the last few weeks talking in particular about Easter, so we took a little break from our weekly sort of um, schedule that we have. But we're going to hop back in now. And, and um, I think you'll find it interesting. Now, let me honestly tell you that as I was preparing for Leviticus, I actually thought it would be nice to come in, do maybe... One week of Leviticus and then skip to the next book. <laughs> so, and I was trying to figure out how to do that. And then as I was kind of really studying Leviticus, um, see, the thing is, Leviticus was, was written for the Levitical priesthood um, as Israel was getting started. And... Uh, Here's some of my thinking about why I wanted to kind of just touch on it and then move along. My initial thinking was um, we're, we're no longer with a Levitical priesthood. You know, Jesus has surpassed that. And, and so um, he's our great. But Leviticus is filled with types of Christ and uh, with all sorts of ideas about what he ultimately accomplished and how it all fits together. And to, to just sort of gloss over it, I think, isn't fair. Um, and so I want to take some time to develop the chapters as we go. We may combine a chapter or two uh, along the way, but for the most part, I think it's pretty important that we look through it because it's uh, the key verse of Leviticus is be holy, for I am holy. And um, Peter actually uses that verse in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. Um, he quotes it right from Leviticus. And interestingly enough, when you start to dig into Leviticus, you know what you find out? That Leviticus is quoted over a hundred times in the New Testament alone. So it's like, well, if they thought it was important, who am I? <laughs> and so I was humbled and said, okay, I'm in. And uh, we'll start digging through it together because uh, when a book is referred to that often, there's a that we should know sort of what's going on with Leviticus. But as we study it, you need to know that um, we're under a much better covenant now. So we'll be talking about things that, that um, uh, were important for the time, but, but we have a much better covenant and a better mediator in Christ. And so um, some of these things are types of what's happening but are different than what the requirements are now because... Um, because of the whole process of Jesus coming and satisfying the law and doing all that neat stuff for us. So um, we'll hold that in context as we study together. But I think it's important that we, we work through much of Leviticus together. Like I said, there may be a chapter or two that we can sort of uh, put together. On our way to Numbers, which I will also try and figure out how to get past, but... <laughs> I probably won't be able to some of it. So anyway... Um, all scriptures God breathed. There's something in it. And, and I want to encourage you when you're reading the scripture to, um, 
take time to find out what it's saying to you today, because it all has meaning and value, and um, uh, it's it's you know it's important in understanding our redemption. And um, a lot of times, just reading through the Old Testament will make you realize how amazing the new covenant is that we have in Christ, and and what a deal we got uh, and have in Jesus and in Him satisfying the law and why we seem to be so tempted to throw ourselves back under law when, when we live in the amazing grace of God because of the completion of what Jesus has brought is, is a little uh, mind-boggling, and yet we have a tendency to pop ourselves back under the law all the time. So um, maybe knowing about the requirements will help us to understand that we really don't want to uh, put ourselves in that situation. So let's go through the first chapter and you'll see that there's a lot of types here and that um, and the, big, and the biggest thing in the first chapter is the burnt offering that's going to be offered. Um, and in these first few chapters, there are a half a dozen different types of offerings that are made um, by the people of Israel to the Lord for various reasons. So let's start in verse 1 of Leviticus. I'm reading out of the NIV. Um, that's what's on the notes. But whatever your translation is, is fine with me. Verse 1, the Lord called to Moses... And spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, uh, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, he is to offer a male without defect. He is to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle his blood against the altar on all sides. He is to cut it into pieces, and the priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, he is to offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off the head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He is to remove the crop uh, with its contents and throw it to the east side of the altar where the ashes are. He shall tear it open by the wings, not severing it completely, and then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. It is a burnt offering an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, uh, again, we can immediately see how blessed we are that Jesus has paid for our sin once and for all at the cross and that we're not still involved in this system because um, this is a, it's basically horrific, right? I mean, when you, when you read about that, that should what come to mind. And yet, this was the way that sin was atoned for. Uh, 
back at that point in time. And um, it was done this way on purpose so that people never took it for granted. And that they were actually involved in the, in the process, as you see. They couldn't just kind of pay their way out of it. Um, they, they, it, it cost them something because they came from the herd or the flock or um, of birds. And, and they would lay their hand on the animal as a way of identifying with the animal. animal and then they'd be involved in the, the killing of this animal to atone for their sin. Um, so it, 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 just think about all of that. So it's a very significant deal. But let's talk about it and we'll see how it's... Uh, it's really a picture of Christ in so many ways and what's going on. And um, really that's the, the idea behind the burnt offering um, is, is we're going to see uh, how what Jesus will do is sort of foreshadowed in the events. Um, but this burnt offering was the way that the people approached God. And it was the way that they became acceptable and reconciled to God at the time um, was through this burnt offering. And so what we find out is we sort of work through the, the chapters together there in the beginning that there's, um, there's just one way to approach God, and that was with this burnt offering. Um, man up on his own, because of our condition, we're not acceptable to God as we are. Um, we talk about that. Remember, God is perfect and holy, and we're not. And, and our sin... The all of us have sinned, has separated us from God. There's this great chasm between us and God because of our sin, and our human effort can't get us back. We, we, we have this issue, and we're stuck. We can't get back. They had it in the Old Testament. Um, we, we have it, um, but, but now what's happened is in Christ, He has paid for our sin. He's defeated death. He's risen again. We just talked about that. And, and now God chooses to see us in the perfection of His Son because God came. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't get back. So He came at the Christmas story, fully God, fully man, lived the perfect sinless life, willingly went to the cross on our behalf and, and exchanged His life for ours, atoned all those things that we've talked about, then defeated death and rose again. And now for all who believe, God chooses to see us in the perfection of His Son so we can be restored and reconciled to God. In the Old Testament, the way that they became acceptable to God was through this series of offerings. And this burnt offering was the, the, the way that it was done. And um, it, was, it was a big deal so that they never took it for granted. That's why we, you know, now 2,000 years since the crucifixion and the resurrection, um, and because we're no longer having to perform these things because of what Christ has done, we want to make sure that we never forget uh, how amazing it is and that we never take for granted what happened on the cross and that we never take it lightly and that we understand from time to time and we, we deal with the reality that our sin put Jesus on the cross because he, he, he didn't have any. He went for us. Our, our fault. Our, we put him there. And it was a horrific, horrible, humiliating, painful death that he died. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to be uh, morbid in that thinking. It's just it needs to be part of the reality so we don't, we don't take it for granted. Uh, and at the same time that we always celebrate and rejoice because of what he's done. And so we, we hold these things in tension. So, um, so our sin has separated us. It's our condition. We're selfish. We, we, we tend to go our own way all the time. And we, we put ourselves first. 
Um, and this is part of who, you know, what we are, hopefully, as we continue on in this journey in the Lord and the Holy Spirit continues to work in us as we yield to Him. We're changed over time, but we'll never be good enough in our own strength to um, ever, ever get ourselves reconciled to God apart from the work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. And so um, we, we, we're seeing those pictures now. Um, Old Testament, be, prior to the cross, this burnt offering uh, and some of these other offerings were the, the way that they were um, able to be acceptable to God, uh, you know, in, in this process. And so um, in this thing, though, what, what's interesting is we see that uh, uh, God determines the way for man to approach him and become acceptable to him. God determines that. Uh, and we need to understand it was him. In the beginning, verse 1, it was God who called. Um, it was, that means that God you know, spoke in a loud, clear voice uh, that this is what needed to take place for the people to be acceptable to God. And so you know, God is the one who speaks. God is the one who makes the way um, in this process. Sometimes people, um, and maybe you've, you've run up against this yourself in the culture that we live in, uh, they think that we are very narrow-minded in our thinking when we say that Jesus is the way that we have access to God and that Jesus himself said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And a lot of people take issue with that. And they say, well, that's, that's not right. That, that's how you do it. And sh Surely there should be other ways to God. And that's our demand and that's our thinking that we know more than God does, and and so so people get upset that there's that there's only one way instead of being incredibly grateful that there's a way at all, because we don't deserve a way back. Honestly, we've all chosen to go our own way, time after time after time. We don't. It's not like, but in our own thinking, we all think somehow we deserve it, and we struggle with that. A lot of people get stuck there, but God is the one who determines the way. For us to be acceptable to Him, God speaks it, God called it, God made it, God did it, and we need to be aware of that. And so, um, when we get that, it keeps us from being, I think, self-righteous, because that self-righteous thought is that we ought to be able to determine the way back, that we ought to have a say in it, it ought to be really us, and if we, if we decide, because we're so wise, that there's 10 ways, or 20 ways, or 50 ways, well, then so be it, but that's not how it works. So uh, the God of the universe, the one who created it all, decides the way and defines the way and makes clear the way. And in the Old Testament, he was already foreshadowing what was going to happen at the cross. So um, we need to be aware of that. Uh, I, I quoted that verse, John 14, 6 already. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In Acts 4, 12, it says, There's, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men where we must be saved. The early church got that and knew it. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. Uh, and that's the reality of that sort of thinking. But already in, in Leviticus, we're, we're starting to see that um, God is the one who makes the way, establishes the way, calls the way. And then also in verse 1, um, God appoints a mediator to reveal the way to approach and become acceptable to Him. And, and, and that's what He does. 
And so the mediator in Leviticus, the person that stood between the people and God was Moses. And, and uh, um, he was a, a picture, uh, Moses is a, is a picture of Christ. He's a type of Christ in the process. So then the mediator was, um, was Moses as the mediator between God and man. Um, and, and, and yet we have a better mediator now in Jesus. Jesus is the appointed mediator that, that stands between God and us, if you would. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So in, in his um, ministry, fully God, fully man, and in what he's come to done, he is the one who's made a way for us to be reconciled back to God. And uh, in Hebrews 8.6 it says, But now Christ has obtained a more excellent ministry, and he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. I like that. So, you know, uh, when we're working through some of this older stuff, we need to look at Hebrews from time to time and see how much better this new covenant and this new promise is. And then in verse 2, what we see is that God opens a way for every person to approach Him. And what happens in this uh, next few verses is, um, and, and you, you may not have catched the subtlety, but um, he, he makes a way in the next three uh, sets of ideas um, for the wealthy to approach him, for regular folks to approach him, and for the poor people to approach him. And everybody has a way to approach him uh, in the process. And, and so if you, if you didn't see how it was, see, only, only the wealthy could really uh, um, afford to bring uh, an animal from the herd because uh, an oxen or a, you know, a cattle would have been very expensive. So wealthy people were required to um, bring something that was costly to them. Um, but the average person couldn't afford to bring something from the herd, so they were allowed to bring something from the flock, a sheep or goat or something small. Still costly to them, but, but different because their means are different. But people who were poor, they would bring a bird to sacrifice, and, and the idea was even if they couldn't afford to buy a bird, they would be able to catch one, and, and therefore they had a way to part, be a part of this whole process, and it's, the idea is that God wants everyone to have a way so that there's no excuse, uh, and there's no process, like only the rich can come, or only the middle class can come, or only the poor can come, or they can't come, or only this can, but everybody has a way to the Father, and that way uh, for us is in Christ. He was the perfect one-time sacrifice for it all. So there's provision for all of us to be reconciled to God in Christ. And, um, you know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In John 3, 16, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So regardless of position um, or, or any other factor all of us have access to God in Christ, and that's really important. And so in um, verses 3 through 9, this is really about how the wealthy person would approach God, and they would come through the idea of the burnt offering, just like everybody else, uh, and they would bring a, um, a perfect uh, male um, from the herd of cattle or the oxen, and uh, the, it had to be a perfect animal with no defect or blemish whatsoever. They had to... They had to bring the best that they had for this offering in the process. And uh, ultimately it would symbolize the perfection of Christ in the, in the whole deal, but 
that there was that whole that they couldn't bring a you know the weakest or the the worst part of their herd as their offering it wouldn't be accepted it would it was going to be something that mattered and um in the process and so that was coming on and then the the person in, in these things would identify with the sacrifice by laying their hands on the head of the sacrifice and that symbolized that the animal was taking the place of the person they, the animal was being substituted for that person and so a person's guilt his sins condemnation were being transferred to the sacrifice and that symbolizes exactly what Jesus did for us uh, in, in you know Jesus took our place became our substitute and became our perfect sacrifice second Corinthians 521 it says for he who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God and so the, the idea is that the innocent died for the guilty and that's what was happening throughout these sacrifices a completely innocent uh, animal was being sacrificed for the sins of guilty people and it was this constant picture of what Jesus was going to do and they would be constantly involved in that process in verses 10 through 13 um, this was how the, the, the average person would come. They were to um, also come through the burnt offering, but since they weren't wealthy, they could offer the sacrifice of a sheep or a goat. And they would go through a similar process. And, and uh, you know, um, it may be even easier for us to understand because, because Jesus was called the Lamb of God. And so the average person would bring a, uh, a sheep or a lamb or a goat. They would do the same things, lay their hand on the animal, identify with their sins, uh, and then be involved in this whole process. Re remember when we studied the Passover uh, back in Exodus, and, and when the people celebrated asked, uh, uh, the Passover, they would bring in a one-year-old uh, lamb, and they would actually, it would have to come into their home and sort of become part of the family before it was sacrificed. That they would get attached to it before they sacrificed it. And you think, well, that seems cruel. But the idea was people understanding what was happening as a consequence of sin and that we would never take sin lightly. And we still shouldn't um, in, the, in the whole process. So, um, so we see that the, the average person would come with a sheep or a lamb. And then if someone was poor, verses 14 through 17, uh, they, they, uh, they still had their way in, and it was still the burnt offering, and it was still the sacrifice. But um, if someone was poor, they could offer a dove or a pigeon, and, um, uh, and, and this was what they could offer. And, and so that there was nothing that kept the poor from approaching God. Um, there should be no hindrance, no barrier that they couldn't overcome um, in the process. And, and since they, they couldn't afford any, you know, anything else, this would be how they would. A rich person couldn't come with a bird because it wouldn't mean anything to them. Uh, and an average person who can afford a sheep or a goat, they would have to come with a sheep or a goat. But a poor person, he would, he would be able to, the idea was, if, if he had no money at all, even, you know, and birds were not expensive, he, he, most of them could, could afford it. If not, they could catch one, and they could bring that. So the idea is, um, in effect, uh, the only thing that was required was to come um, willing to be involved in the sacrifice of the burnt offering because that's what God, God had ordained in order for us to be acceptable to Him in the process. And so we already begin to see Him, him working and, 
that there be no barriers that, that would keep people away um, from the way that he has made to um, being connected with him. And as I said, there's, that's still very true for us. Everyone has an opportunity to come to Christ uh, and to be um, reconciled to him uh, in this whole journey. So that's sort of what's happening there in the first chapter, and we've got a lot more stuff to cover in the weeks ahead, and we'll, we'll get it all together. But if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Appreciate you doing that. Come and visit us when you can, and uh, we'll see you soon. Okay, I'm going to take the prayer requests. You can pass them up to me, and I will, uh, I will pray for you. We'll go from there.